Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, I am so thankful that uh, Lucy affirmed my gift of preaching. Now the rest of you will get a chance. But uh, what I do want to tell you is, is that sometimes in the uh, nature of what we do is that I weave in and out of the gift of preaching and teaching, and so just know right away that this morning I'll be more teaching than I will be preaching. And uh, we're going to jump into something that we'll be in for a couple of weeks. And uh, man, if you have never been around church life or denomination life, you understand that what we're talking about today has been a source of controversy and will continue to be, I think, until Jesus comes back. We'll be talking about spiritual gifts this morning. Uh, It brings up much controversy, and even as we talk about the controversy, many gifts have even been abused in the church, which have left people dumbfounded. Nevertheless, with that being said, you need to know this morning that every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are God's way of ministering His Word and His power among His people and to the world. Gifts are supernatural provisions of God through the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church and the evangelization of the world. You'd have to recognize today that in the church there are true spiritual gifts, and just as there are true spiritual gifts, there are also false and counterfeit gifts. The true gifts build up the body, but the false gifts, they always seem to tear down the body. So in Corinth, there were a lot of counterfeit things happening. A lot of people were coming and saying they were using a spiritual gift in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit, and lots of weird things were happening, and the body was being divided because of it. There are all kinds of things happening there, claiming to be of the Spirit, and the Corinthian church didn't really know what to make of it all, so they write to Paul, as we find out as we've been preaching, back in chapter 7, verse 1, they wrote to him concerning some things, and this happens to be one of the things they wrote to Paul about. So as we study 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we can assume that there were some questions maybe that they may have asked Paul. We don't know what they were, but based on his answers, we can kind of almost guess, and I want to say that, guess the questions. Maybe you are asking some of the same ones this morning. Questions like this, what are spiritual gifts? How many are there? Does every believer have them? How can a person know which one he or she has? How important are gifts for living and for the church? Here's a big one. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Are all the gifts for every age or were some gifts for a limited time? Are there false gifts? Is it able to make a counterfeit of a true spiritual gift? Questions like these ruminate throughout these, these verses. So Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we'll be this morning. 
And he says, I want to tell you guys about spiritual gifts. And, and I believe just the word I'm going to use, he looks at it from three different angles this morning. And he really looks at it from five, but we'll cover three this morning and two next week. So what does Paul happen to say to us this morning about spiritual gifts and, and, and these three angles? Well, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So as is our custom here, because we want to honor God and His Word, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, say it with me, church, I do not want you to be what? That's what he says. So he's going to tell us what's going on. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gift of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Here's the first angle I believe Paul talks about. He looks at it about the spirituality and proof of the gifts. The spirituality and the proof of the gifts. The Corinthians had come, as you know, from very pagan backgrounds, and all that pagan worship and all the things that happened in pagan worship and it was affecting their understanding of the gifts. So Paul says in verse 1, he says, now concerning. It's almost like Paul says, okay, I've been teaching you things concerning other things, and now concerning spiritual gifts. Before he had addressed how they had perverted the Lord's Supper, so now he's going to address how they've perverted the spiritual gifts. The word he says, concerning spiritual, if you look in your Bible there, the next word gifts should be in italics. Because it is supplied here, but he tells us later that what he's talking about. So he says there, concerning spiritual, really, brethren. That word is an interesting word. It means that which has spiritual qualities and characteristics, which is under spiritual control. So it's the nature of these gifts. They're very spiritual in their nature. But then later he mentions the word gifts. And that is the word charismata, and it means freely giving or graced. These gifts are special endowments from God that are freely given to us for the work of the ministry. And so for those denominations that are more charismatic, now you know where that word came from. It's over the gifts that we argue about. But he says to them, he doesn't want them to be unaware. Now that is an interesting word there. The word unaware is the word agnoeo, and it means not to know, to be ignorant of word, of something. That's where we get the word agnostic from. 
When somebody says that they're agnostic, it means that they say, we just can't really know. Well, Paul says, I don't want it to be that you can say you don't really know what's happening with spiritual gifts. He's saying, I want you to know. So he teaches them that spiritual gifts are divine enablements. Listen to me. They're divine enablements for ministry. Here's the kicker that resemble the Lord Jesus that he operated when he was on the earth. And now God wants those same gifts to be operating in the church of God so that the life and ministry of Jesus can be seen and felt in the church. Each gift had its perfect expression through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If you'll go back and look in his life, you will see these gifts at play. It's amazing. So that's when a church is using the gifts, then people can see and know the power of Jesus working in his church. So verse 2, he says, you know that when you were pagans, that word is interesting. That word is the word ethne. It really means peoples, but more specifically here, it means peoples non-Jewish people, and it eventually came to mean anyone who was a non-Christian. So as we've seen in 1 Corinthians, one of the main characteristics of pagans was idolatry. Paul says that when you didn't know Christ, when you were pagans, you were led astray, he says, to mute idols. Paul says that when we don't know Christ, we're led astray to, to dumb or mute idols. That word, to be led astray, means... It was used of when prisoners would be led away by an armed guard to, to their prison cell or to be executed. So Paul is saying, before we came to Christ, when we were pagans, we were captives of Satan and our own flesh to be led away to be destroyed. He cannot help, in other words, Paul says, somebody who is still a non-Christian can't help but be led astray into idolatry. So too many times we often believe that the non-religious life, the non-Christian life is just too rigid, it's too stuffy, it's too rule-based, it's too restrictive. But Paul here teaches the opposite. He says the unbeliever, the one who doesn't follow Christ, is the one who actually has the rules on them. They can't choose any differently. They have to go to idolatry. There's no choice. They've been led astray to it. He says, however you have been led. It says you've been led astray to dumb idols. That word dumb is the word aphonos. You, you heard the word microphonos. It means to project a sound. You guys have heard those word phonics, hooked on phonics. It means to, to say sounds. He says, this is the word aphonos, though the negative prefix ah in the Greek negates something. So it means to not make a noise. And that's what basically idols are. There are things that people worship, but they can't speak to them. They don't make any noise. They, they can't help. So no idol or anything else in the world, but Jesus can really answer people's questions, give them truth, assure them of truth, forgive them of their sins, give them meaning and value and peace. So Paul says, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking, now watch the contrast, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Paul, help me there. Well, I don't know if you've noticed it, but Satan seems to spend a whole lot of time in church. I think Satan attends church more often than we do. And he loves to pervert God's people, especially when they're worshiping. 
So some people, even in worship, had allowed the Lord Jesus to be cursed while in worship. Well, how did that happen? Some were claiming to speak by the Spirit that Jesus is accursed. That is so difficult to understand. Let me help you. Accursed here is the word anathema. You've heard it say that's an anathema. It refers to severe condemnation. So to accurse Jesus is to condemn, listen, his humanity and his deity. And Paul is saying that it's impossible to do that if you're in the spirit. So how could some people say that about Jesus? How could they, they condemn him in his spirit or in his flesh, in his humanity? How? Because Deuteronomy 21, 23 said that anyone who hung on a tree was accursed. So they're like, Jesus, this one you claim to be the Messiah, hung on a tree. Therefore, he is accursed. That's interesting. We know that really can't be what's happening here. So, so really, Paul, help me. Help me, Paul. Help me understand what's going on. We have to culturally understand what was happening in the time. You see, in that day, in the first century, the philosophy of the word Gnosticism was rampant. And it taught that everything that is physical or natural is evil. Everything that is spiritual or, or, or supernatural is good. So thus, Christ, when he came, only appeared to be in a body. The, the human Jesus was an imperfect, evil, and poor representation of the spiritual Son of God, because he had a divine nature that would not have ever taken a physical form because physical stuff is evil. So Christ's spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism and then returned to heaven before his crucifixion. Thus, Jesus died in a cursed death as just a mere man. In essence, they were worshiping the divine Jesus and cursing the human Jesus. They rejected everything physical to be evil. Thus, they seriously denied the resurrection. The human body was the last thing anybody would want to be rejoined with because it was evil. And Paul deals with this in chapter 16. But for now, here's what Paul is saying, that there is no Jesus apart from the 100% human and 100% divine Jesus. He is both Christ, meaning that he is divine, and he is both Lord, meaning that he is human. The incarnated Lord and the resurrected Lord are the only Lord there is. So the only way that somebody can say that Christ is Lord is through the divine enablement of the Holy Spirit to understand that he was both God and man. Paul understands very easily that anybody could go out of here and say, well, Jesus is the Lord and don't even know the Lord. So how, what is he saying? I mean, you see this on TikTok a lot of times. People take these kind of verses and they say, see, this is why I know the Bible is not true because I don't even know the spirit and I can say Jesus is Lord. Or I can say Jesus is a curse right now. Nothing's going to happen to me. Well, that's not what he's saying because Jesus even said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who just says that is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is heaven. The title Lord there implies deity, and to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is God. Lordship implies sovereign authority over every area of my life, and the only way a person can say that Jesus is the sovereign authority and really mean it and live that way is to have the Holy Spirit inside of them is what Paul is saying. So for anything, listen carefully, for anything ever 
just proclaim from a pulpit anything that's ever been done in church that's some ecstatic utterance and it is in any way contrary to the revealed faith that Jesus is not Lord and God is not of the Holy Spirit. So in my opinion, Paul is saying this. Listen to me very carefully. Here's what, here's what he's saying concerning spiritual gifts. Listen to me. Paul is saying the basis and the place that we have to start with spiritual gifts is this. If you don't get Jesus right, you will never get the gifts right. If you don't get Jesus right, you're going to mess everything else up. Because the gifts are the body of Christ lived out through the church. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. So Paul says this first angle there is he says the spirituality of the gifts. And secondly, he looks at the source and the purpose of the gifts. The source and the purpose of the gifts. Because there's been misunderstanding of gifts, it led to the carnal divisiveness that Paul has been addressing throughout this book. The spiritual gifts then should serve to bring and strengthen unity to the believers in the church. Paul talks about the varieties of these gifts and the source of the gifts, and then he moves on to the purpose of the gifts. Notice there, as you read, as you heard it read, in, in verses 4, 5, and 6, there were two words that were repeated. There's varieties, but the same. Varieties, but the same. Notice that. And now he mentions for the first time in the original text, it says, he says there in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts. There's the word charismata. There's the word. Again, it means a gift of grace or a free gift where God is always the giver. These gifts are spiritual in that they're divine enablements for the believer to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me and listen carefully. There is a, a strong difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. Some people are talented at math and art and language and sports and building things, and they can be used for the glory of God. But Paul isn't talking here about natural talents. This is about supernatural gifts, supernatural abilities given by the Holy Spirit to exalt Christ and to edify the church. At the moment that you were born again and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you received at least one gift to be used to exalt Christ and to edify the body. You received it at the moment of your salvation. And so God has put together all the parts of the body so that we can have all the gifts that we need to accomplish specifically what God has called us to do right here in LaGrange. Now, knowing that, knowing that there's, there's a variety of all these gifts and that everybody has one, listen to me, that's all in vain if you don't know what they are and you're not using them. There will be no way we can effectively grow this church, edify this church, and reach this community unless every single person in this room knows your gift and you're actually using it. It's not going to happen. So to accomplish it, to accomplish the great task that the Lord Jesus and his sovereignty has, has decided for us here at First Baptist Church, he said there are a variety of gifts. That word variety means apportionments, allotments, or distributions. God distributes his gifts in many forms, in many ways, in many varieties, but they're still the same spirit from which they come. 
And he's going to list a lot of these gifts. He's going to tell us, here's all kinds of varieties. There's administration and leadership and mercy and prophecy and teaching and wisdom. There's all kinds of gifts. We, we need all kinds of things. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5, there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. Christians with the same gift may be led to minister those gifts in different ways. It's interesting because somebody with the gift of teaching may, may use it to minister to children. Another person with the gift of children, uh, the gift of children, yeah, that'd be good. The gift of, of teaching may minister to adults. Another person with the gift of teaching may teach on Wednesday night to a Bible study. There's different ways that the same gifts can be used. That's what he's saying. There's a variety of the way that the Holy Spirit may use your gift to minister to other people. The word ministries there is a word from which we get servant to serve or deacons. Remember that the Bible says that Jesus came to serve others. Notice here he says that it's from the same Lord. So in other words... Jesus gives these gifts to us so that we can serve how he served in the church. These gifts are never for self-edification and never for self-service, but for a service to others. Thus, listen carefully, a gift exercised in private is a perversion of a spiritual gift. It is never to be exercised for you. It is always to be ministered to other people. That would help us with a lot of the controversy that goes on. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. The purpose of the gift is to serve the body. Spiritual gifts are loaned to us by God and they belong to him. They're not to be used on us or for us. They're gifts given to serve others. So in verse 6 he says there's a variety of effects. The same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, check this out. There's a variety of effects. That word effects is a word that means that which is given energy, that which is worked out or energized. So God the Father provides the gifts, and then he also provides the energy by which you use them. And then they're given supernaturally, and they're energized supernaturally. So watch this. Then a believer who has maybe a different gift in the body, right? There's different gifts. And let's say you have the same gift that I have, and let's just go back to the gift of teaching. You use the gift of teaching. I use it to speak to our adults. You use it to speak to little children. Well, check this out. Even if you use it to teach with adults, I do it on Sunday morning. You do it on Wednesday night. The Bible says that even though we have the same gift, maybe ministering to different people, there will be different effects of how that gift happens. Some people in this room may stand up and say, hey, man, that was a great sermon. People in your class on a Wednesday night may walk away saying, dude, man, that was super convicting. I'm never coming back. Different effects. Somebody with the gift of preaching and teaching to preach to a crowd of size like this. Some people with the gift of teaching can preach to a crowd of 5,000 people. Different effects. And if we're not careful, we get jealous over that stuff. And that's why he says, it's the same spirit, it's the same God, it's the same Lord that works all things in all persons. It is not you doing it. It is the spirit of God through you that's doing that. That's why you can't take the credit. 
So the effects are up to God. I mean, it's his church, right? Did you notice it, though? I don't know if you noticed it. The true source. I don't know if you're paying attention here. The Trinity is right there. Did you see it? He says there in verse 4, the same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. And verse 6, the same God. You want to know where the spiritual gifts come from? The triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's just right there. It's just so amazing. So then, there's different gifts, there's different ministries, there are different outcomes, but the same Spirit. Verse 7. Now he begins to tell us about the purpose. We know the source, now the purpose. But each one is given for the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word manifestation means to make known, to make clear, to make evident. That is what the gifts do. They make the Holy Spirit known, they make the Holy Spirit clear, and they make the the Holy Spirit evident in the church and in the world. The opposite would be to hide or to make private. So therefore, the spiritual gifts are never to be used privately because they're trying to manifest something, and that is the Holy Spirit. Not only given to make the Holy Spirit known, but he says there, he says they're, they're also given for the common good. That phrase, the common good, means to bring together. It can mean to help or to be advantageous. Thus, the gifts are given to help build up the church to edify the people who come together in his name. One other purpose is that when the gifts are used, they help others use their gifts. I mean, think about it. If I didn't use my gift, I couldn't encourage you to use your gifts. When Sarah, our children's minister, used her gift, other people are like, man, I love children. I want to go help children. Can I sign up to help children? And Sarah always says yes. Somebody working and seeing Sarah love on kids, they're like, man, I love kids. I want to be like she. I want to love kids like she does. So they get involved, and the next thing you know, they're teaching kids along with her because her using her gift helps other people use their gifts. One other purpose is that when gifts are used or when gifts are not used, they discourage people from using their gifts. You see, when I use my gift, it may equip you to do the work of the ministry. When somebody uses their gift of administration, it helps other people get free so they can use their gift. Conversely, the same thing happens when when you don't use your gift, other people aren't helped to use their gift. But because they all come from the same source, they all have the same value. You need to understand that, that some gifts are seen, like the one I'm using right now, it's seen. Some gifts are not seen. There, there's some people right now back in the nursery who have the gift of helps, and they're just helping take care of our babies. They're not seen, but they are tremendously valuable, wouldn't you say? Some gifts are verbal, some are not. Some are out front, some are not. But they all have the same value and source and purpose. And so far, we've quickly looked at spirituality and the proof, the source and the purpose. And lastly, let's look at this very quickly, the scope and particulars of the gifts. Now, a thorough study of the gifts will reveal that gifts can be broken down into three broad categories. I'm going to be teaching you my Baptist theology here unapologetically. Okay, if you disagree with what I'm fixing to say from here on out, you can still come here. We can still minister here because we're not going to be divided over this kind of junk. Okay, I'm just telling you what I believe the scripture says, and you can hold your clear conscience and disagree with me. Is this okay? This is not one of the cardinal doctrines that we're going to fight over here in this church. 
So just know, I'm telling you, my Baptist theology that I got from the Word of God. So in particular, from 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Peter 4.11, I think we can break the gifts into three broad categories, those being sign gifts, those being speaking gifts, and those being serving gifts. The sign gifts were given to authenticate the apostles' message and the word of God until the completion of the scriptures. Once the completion of the scriptures happened, the sign gifts passed off the scene. And then we have the speaking gifts. But before that, if you're wondering, what would be some of the sign gifts? Those would be miracles, healings, and tongues, and interpretation of tongues. I believe those have fallen off because their purpose has been for a sign and the sign was received and known and now is no longer a part of the body. The speaking gifts would concern the word of God. Those would be gifts like prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation. The serving gifts are used to minister in other ways that don't necessarily concern the word but are a part of the word in action. And those gifts are like leadership and helps, giving, mercy, faith, and discernment. So Paul here mentions some of these gifts and there are other places in the Bible that mention the gifts. We see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, like we have here, Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4, 11. Now, in our text here, you're going to see that there are 13 gifts listed. Over in Romans, he lists seven. In Ephesians, he lists five. And in 1 Peter, he lists two. After you take the ones that are different and the ones that are the same and you put together them in a list, you can have up to 21 different gifts that are listed in the Scripture. But here's the point. That isn't to tell us how many there are. Paul's just telling you there's a whole lot of variety and here's just a few of them. So I believe that there are far more gifts that exist than actually are recorded here in Scripture. But we're not going to fight about that kind of stuff. He's just using this to, to illustrate the variety and the expressions of the gifts and to show the common purpose of them all is going to be for the good of the church and the glory of God. And we're not going to fight over it and we're not going to disagree, but I'm just going to tell you my thoughts because that's what I have to do. Verse 8, he says, to one is given the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom there is the word logos. That tells you it's a speaking gift because it comes from the word the written word of God, the living word, Jesus Christ. So the gift of wisdom concerns the word of God. It's a word of wisdom. The word for wisdom is Sophia, and it means to understand God's will and to apply it in appropriate ways. It's the skill of wisdom. Right, if, I, if I knew what an iron was, man, I might have a lot of knowledge about how iron, how it is put together, how the heating element, but if I don't know how to use an iron, what good is it going to do? I need wisdom. Wisdom is the application of how to take the knowledge and do something with it. A lot of people have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but the people with the gift of wisdom, they actually know how to help you apply it. It must be said, though, that the application will always be in accordance with what God has already revealed. If somebody tells you the way you apply this, per, this principle in the scripture is to go get a divorce when there's not a biblical reason. That's not a proper application. Are you with me? Then he says there's a word of knowledge. So some are given the word of knowledge. Again, there's that word logos, so we know this is a speaking gift. This refers to the ability to perceive and understand the truths of God's word. 
God gives certain people the ability to study and understand context and words related passages and truth to provide that understanding to other people. It's the ability to tell somebody what God is saying from the Bible. That's what this gift really is. Too many people in another denomination say, hey, man, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and here's what you're supposed to do tomorrow. But I don't know what that is, and God may be doing that, but it's not the biblical definition of a word of knowledge. It's just not there. I'm sorry. I'm not going to disagree with you over whether it's real or not. I'm just telling you, that ain't what we're talking about here. Because it's the ability to tell somebody what God is saying in the Bible. These people may desire to be trained in languages, history, and theology. Just That's me. And the writers of the Bible had that gift in a unique way. But once the writing of the Bible came, the gift to receive new truth or new revelation ceased. There is no new thing coming out. This is it, folks. So I don't have to have a word of knowledge about something new. I need to have the word of knowledge to know what's written in the old. Amen. Anyone today can claim to have a divine revelation not found in the word of God. And that person, in my opinion, would be a deceiver and a liar because it's already been here. I know that's strong, but I'm just telling you my my thoughts. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Now, we all have saving faith, but this is supernatural faith. It is the ability to trust God for impossible things and to not let him go until it happens. It's a supernatural ability to lay, hold, and claim to what God has already spoken. So if God has said, hey, you know what? If you pray, if you pray and it's going to rain, and you pray and it rains, that's because you exercise faith. But when everybody else is saying there's going to be a drought, and you're saying, God said if we pray and it's going to rain, and you just keep believing that until it rains, you're exercising the gift of faith. Amen. Then he says the gift of healings. I don't know if you saw it there, but, but it's there. The gifts of healings. Both words are plural in the original. That's interesting. This suggests, again, the variety and ways this was used and the effects of it. This is the supernatural ability to heal. And I believe that this is a sign gift that has ceased since the closing of the Scripture. I'm going explain that in a few minutes. But for now, know that Paul even used this gift sparingly and never for himself. Paul was sick, but never healed himself. Interesting. Even during, as the the scripture, as the canon was being closed, which is where I get my evidence from, Epaphroditus was sick, but Paul, who had the gift of healing, did not heal Epaphroditus. Wonder why that is. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I'm not going to heal you. Take some wine for your illness. That's interesting. Just like with Jesus, the gift of healing was always used to confirm the message and the messenger of the gospel. That confirmation is no longer needed now because we have the Bible in full. Does God still heal? Yes. Does he have to have the gift of healing to do it? No. Did God heal people before the gifts came? Yes. Can God heal people after the gifts went? Yes. He did before spiritual gifts and he's going to continue to do so, but I believe that that gift has passed because it was a sign gift proving the validation of the messenger and the message. Then he says the gift of miracles. A miracle is a supernatural suspension of natural laws. It is not a miracle that you make it to work on time. That is not a miracle. A miracle would be that when you woke up at 6 o'clock, 
the sun moved back four hours and it was really two o'clock. That's a miracle. A miracle is when God overrules nature in a way that could not occur through circumstances. But miracles have been put in the category of a sign gift, and I believe are no longer a gift because they've accomplished their purpose. That purpose, again, was to confirm the message and the messenger of the gospel. We see this throughout the Bible in John 2.11. The beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the first miracle where Jesus turns water into wine. What's its purpose? To reveal his glory so that the people could believe in him. John 20, 30, 31. So then many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What was the purpose of all those signs Jesus was doing? John tells us it was to believe in the gospel of Jesus. You see, Jesus performed miracles to prove that he was God and that his message was true. That's what Peter says in Acts 22, 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of the Nazarene, a man attested you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through you, and it is just yourself know. In other words, what, what Peter is saying is, is that Jesus performed these signs, and he attested to you that he was the Messiah by those signs. The apostles and a few others performed miracles as confirming signs of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, the distinguishing marks of a true apostle. It's a sign. How do I know a true apostle from a false apostle? We're performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. A summary of the passage of this idea that miracles were used to confirm the message and the messenger can be found in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed... To those of us who heard, God testifying with them both signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. These were sign gifts to validate the message and the messenger that the old covenant was passing away, that the new covenant was coming, that the Messiah that was prophesied was here and it was being validated. How would it be validated? By these sign gifts. And now that those sign gifts have been met, now that the sign has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, there's no longer a need for it. Does God still do miracles? Yes. Did he do the miracles before the gifts? Yes. Can he do miracles after the gift? Yes. It's not a question of whether God can still do this stuff. Is, is, is it really a valid gift or not? Verse 10, he says, prophecy. And to another, the effect of the miracles to another prophecy. There are two aspects about prophecy. That is for, F-O-R telling, and forth, F-O-R-T-H telling. It's the ability of the, to speak the word of God and to bring people to conviction. Most of the prophets simply foretold what God had already said. They weren't foretelling something that they, they, they didn't kind of know. They were already just telling what God had already said. They, they foretold what God was saying as well. In the New Testament era, before the New Testament was written, prophets would receive direct revelation with words with to speak to the church. But today we have a completed canon, a Bible and revelation that the messenger simply takes the written word of God and proclaims it to the people of God. There are new, no new prophecies. There's no more new revelation. And I don't care who claims to be the head of the Catholic church. There is no new revelation coming. This is all we have, friends. I'm just telling you. Prophecy is simply declaring what God has already said, point blank. Distinguishing of spirits. That's the ability to discern between God, the flesh, and Satan. 
so that the church is not misled. The church will be able to know truth from error. This is the ability to recognize lying spirits or counterfeits. Tongues, without study or knowledge, the ability to speak a known human language that is needed so that somebody can understand the gospel. That has always been what tongues has been about. It's always been a known language that somebody could hear the gospel preached to them. It has never been about some ecstatic utterance by a bunch of people running around like crazy wild men. It's not what it's supposed to be for. It is a known language. The scripture also says there's interpretation of tongues. That's the ability to say, hey, if Justin had the gift of tongues and he starts speaking in Swahili and somebody here in Swahili is understanding the gospel, I have the interpretation and I say, hey, here's what Justin just said for the rest of y'all. But it's always, always about the gospel. It was a sign gift. To show the people that the gospel can be heard in all their languages. And here's the kicker. Paul says that when the gift of tongues is used, only one or two or three should speak it the most. But then there has to be the gift of interpretation. That would settle a whole lot of stuff in the church. We'll cover these in greater detail in chapter 14. So if you like what you're hearing now or you don't, don't come then or do come then. Let me say this, I believe these two gifts were also signed gifts and most likely ceased. And I will not say dogmatically that I believe they can never be brought back again because God can do what God wants to do. But when we get to chapter 14, I'll explain what I mean by these ceasing because Paul seems to say that. These signed gifts were gifts that were used to authenticate the messenger and the message of God. That being said, every gift doesn't operate at the same time throughout history. You've got to know that. Did you know that God can do everything right now he's always been able to do? But did you know that God doesn't always do everything right now the way he used to do it? For example, take Moses. God parted the Red Sea through Moses. Can God part the Red Sea every day of his life if he wants to? God can certainly do that. But why doesn't God use Moses to part the Red Sea anymore today? Because the purpose has been met. God wanted to deliver his people, and he wanted to validate his message and his messenger, Moses. And when we look at the miracles and healings, we see three periods of time that those were used. During the time of Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and the apostles. In those cases, every single time, look it up for yourself, every single time, miracles and healings were used. It was done to validate the message and the messenger as to the truthfulness of that message. The same is true in the New Testament with miracles, healings, and tongues, interpretations. They were used to validate the message and the messenger. So can God still do miracles and healings? Yes. But his purpose in history and the word of God for doing these things was in special times through special people with a special task to validate the message and the messenger. Therefore, in my opinion, and that's my humble opinion, they're no longer needed or operational. Verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. God supernaturally and sovereignly gives these gifts. That's the fifth time here in this passage that there's a reference to the Holy Spirit being the giver. But notice something else. The Holy Spirit gives to each believer. Did you hear that? Every believer in this room has at least one spiritual gift. And one more point is that he gives as he wills. The Holy Spirit gives as he wants you to have that gift. That tells me, that tells me that we aren't to pray for spiritual gifts. And a lot 
lot of churches, they say, pray that you have the gift of tongues or, or pray that. That's not what Paul says. Paul says the Holy Spirit gives as he wants. It's interesting. So not everybody should seek these. They should just receive the ones that God has given, and you get them at your birth. So if you're still praying for a spiritual gift, you already got it when you were saved. You just got to activate it. Not everyone is going to have all the gifts either, so that means there should be a huge variety in the body of each gift. So, so churches that say, well, everybody here has got to do this to prove that they're Christians, well, that's just wrong. Because if everybody had the gift of tongues or everybody had been slain in the spirit and everybody could run around and healing, then they were violating the preacher because there has to be a variety. So maybe one or two people should have that kind of gift, but not everybody's going to have that gift. And God has uniquely provided these gifts he wants in the church to carry at his will. What is his will for our church? It's to build up this church and reach this community. And listen to me, we're never going to do that unless you and I know what our gifts are and are using them. Does that make sense? So if I've made enough people mad already, I'm sure, listen, if you're listening by way of radio, go ahead and call me. I'm used to it by now. If you're driving by on the road and I just freaked you out and you hate me, I'm never going to be in a Baptist church again, hey, amen, I'm good with that. But I'm just trying to tell you, there's some clarity here in the scripture that we need to get to. Their spirituality improved, the source and the purpose, the scope and the particulars of the gifts. You're saying, Steve, why do you seem like you're mad about this? I'm not. I'm passionate about this. I'm not mad. If I was mad, you'd know it. I'm just passionate, man. I love the word of God, don't you? But I could be wrong over this stuff, okay? And I humbly tell you that. I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to be faithful. So as I've studied this, I'm going to faithfully give it to you the way the Lord gave it to me. Does that make sense? And I, I, if some of you want to help correct me, please come. Justin, he knows, man, if I say anything, I expect him to be in my office front thing tomorrow morning. Matter of fact, probably this afternoon before lunch. So then what do we do with all this? Let's just talk about doing the book. Can we do that real quickly and get out of here? Somebody's like, man, the Bible said we should pray before we eat. Let's just pray and go eat. Okay, we can do the book that way too. Here's what I want to know, man. You see up here on, on this right here, there, there's a spiritual gift survey right there. If you put your phone on that, it'll take you right to a link. Or if you go to fbclagrange.net forward slash gifts, it'll take you to a link. And there you can take a survey. It's, it's a bunch of questions that are asked to, to get you thinking about your spiritual gifts. It's a simple way. It's just a simple way to start thinking about your gifts. And what's going to happen is you're going to go through that and you're going to take that. And then when you're done, it's going to send an email to us and an email to you. And you're going to have maybe your top gifts kind of put out there. Something that maybe is just an idea just to get you in the ballpark of thinking. And then we'll contact you and help better explain what that may mean and also help you find a way that you can serve to, to, to get busy with that. Now, listen to me. When you take that survey... That is not the time to think about what you want to feel about gifts or what you want and wish you had as a gift. It's to say how you honestly feel in the moment and how you honest, honestly are, are living your life. It's not, well, you know, I wish I had the gift of preaching, so I'm going to answer these questions that way. Don't, don't do that. Number two, pay attention to the qualities people notice and affirm in you. Pay attention to the qualities and, and things that people notice in you. In other words, man, if, if you're thinking, man, I might have the gift of teaching. Well, when you're teaching, if people come up to you and they say, hey, you know, when you teach the word of God, I just understand it so much better. Pay attention to that. 
Or somebody says, hey, when I needed help, you seem to know just what to do and you did it. Pay attention to that. When, when, when we didn't think that was possible, you just kept reminding us and believing to just trust what God had written in his word. Pay attention to that if people say that about you. Because they're probably affirming your gift. At the same time, look for ways people don't affirm you. <laughs> for example, if you're teaching and nobody ever comes up to you and tells them they understand the Bible better, you probably don't have that gift. If you're organizing something and everybody's just constantly complaining about the disorganization, you probably don't have the gift of administration, right? If you're giving counsel to people and you're meeting with people regularly and those people don't seem to be coming back, you probably don't have the gift of counseling. So pay attention. Lastly, serve and see what God uses and blesses. Can I tell you the best way that you'll ever find your spiritual gift is just to start serving and people will let, quickly let you know whether you have it or not. It'll just become readily apparent. Now, you may not be the best teacher, but they'll say, hey man, there's something here and you can build on it. Or you may not have the most organization, but man, you, you got something here, right? So the best way to find you is to start serving and then let people and the church of God help you with that. And lastly, as the band comes up here this way, you don't need to know this, but I'm just telling you this. I would have never, never dreamed in a million years that I would be standing here doing this. Never. I wasn't raised in a church. Y'all know that. You know my story. I was 20 years of age before I ever really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe went to church four times in my entire life. I didn't had no clue what this was. I didn't even know what this was. I didn't know what a preacher necessarily was. But I can remember after I was saved, we were attending a little bitty Bible uh, Baptist church and I just remember that they said to me, they said, hey, would you like to help us teach third graders? Sarah, don't get no ideas. I started out as a third grade teacher. And, and kids just started understanding it and, and just things just started clicking for them. And then the next thing you know, they came in and said, man, you're doing so great in the third grade, you think you could do like sixth through twelfth grade. And so I started teaching youth and and then, man, I'm just telling you, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, man, we had more kids getting saved than there were people in the church. The kids were just being baptized. The thing was exploding. There were more kids on our campus than there were anything else. And, and God just kept doing it. Then, then I was asked, hey, you, you think you might want to preach on Sunday mornings? And then I began to preach on Sunday mornings. And, and then people just started getting jealous. And lots of things started happening. And y'all know where that went. And the next thing you know, I was asked to lead worship, and then I was asked to preach on a regular basis, and then just, just out of the blue, man, people just kept saying, hey, we got this event, would you come preach at this event? We got this going on, would you come teach our men this? And it just kept exploding, and the whole time, listen to me, the whole time, I did not know I had the gift of teaching. It wasn't until I just went into my pastor's office one day, and I said, hey, do you think, man, I might be called to preach and teach? Is that what this is? And he's like, bro. <laughs> been waiting for you to ask that. So my point is, just start serving now. And whatever God seems to bless is probably your spiritual gift. So I wonder if you'd stand to your feet right now. I know I've hung you over a little bit, kept you. But I guarantee you, I'm going to say this in love, if you're an Astros fan, you didn't mind going into overtime the other night. I don't know why the church has a problem going into overtime. 
I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm just saying, people. I do my best to get you out of here, I promise. But the scripture says there that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And so I just want to ask you right here in this room, if you ever confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, because if you do, the scripture says that that's when you would be saved. Saved from what? Well, the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody in the sound of my voice that has never disobeyed God and his word, never. The Bible says that because of that, that the wages of sin, what we get because of that, because we're all sinners, what we get is death. That means separation from God and an eternity without God. That's where we're at right now without Jesus. But then God said, man, that he so loved the world, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that if you would just believe in him, you wouldn't perish and suffer the wages of sin but that you could have his free gift of eternal life. So therefore, the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you want him to be the sovereign ruler of your life, that you want to turn. You're living for you and your way, and you want to turn. That's a big word that means to repent. A change of mind which leads to a change of heart, which always leads to a change of direction. If I want to say Jesus is Lord, I can't be Lord anymore. Jesus is Lord. And you believe that God raised him up from the dead, that he died, was buried, and raised for you. The Bible says when you do that, you would be saved from the wages of sin, which is death. And to be able to do that, to say Jesus is Lord, means that the Holy Spirit of God has to be acting on your heart right now. And here's a good indication that the Spirit of God is doing that. If you know you need to do it and you're nervous as all get out right now, might be a clue. Because I promise you, you didn't walk in today thinking about that. The Spirit of God is working in your heart. So if that's you today, you want to call upon the name of Jesus, man, just come and grab one of us by the hand. We'll be up here to, to meet you after I'm done praying. We'll do that with you. Others, maybe you just want to pray and ask the Lord, that, man, Lord, please just help me see and know what my spiritual gift is. Others, you may want to pray for anything and everything. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pray. You come as we sing. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would make yourself known in these few moments. Bring the lost home. Bring the saved hope. And I pray it in Jesus' name.